Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, Nick, my brain is hurting. Do you know what my brain is hurting? My brain is hurting because we have the cerebral seller, David Primer, for a second round interview. Nick, why should people listen? If you are the type of salesperson who occasionally has dumped your commission check in the trash because you might not be the best negotiator, this one's a really important lesson. David talks about slowing down your negotiation to get more money and close a better deal, and then also why you shouldn't negotiate from a place of power and authority. So let's give this one a listen, Armand. I know you probably want to get some Chipotle guac and you could use some, some better negotiation skills. Mmm, three, two, one, brains and guacamole. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.
Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. All right, David, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All right, great to be back, guys. So what we're going to talk about today are negotiations and how to increase our customers level of satisfaction. So we come out with more of what we want and do better. The first actionable takeaway to get more out of your negotiations is actually going in with less power and authority to grant concessions. So we don't want our customers to be able to push us around and ask us for more things and more comfortable giving. And the way we do that is actually by going into the negotiation without the ability to give those things away. Beautiful. What's number two, David? Number two, getting more out of your deal negotiations is really, really simple. Just give in slowly, right? People don't appreciate what they get too easily. And so the idea is if you want to build your customer's level of satisfaction, give in slowly when it comes to your concessions. We can talk about lots of different ways to do that. Beautiful. Round us out. What's number three, David? Number three is getting more out of your negotiations by invoking what I call invoking standards. So the idea is if you want to give away less, rather than making this kind of a very adversarial thing with your customer, defray the authority to kind of make that decision or grant that concession onto a third party, something abstract. And we call those things standards. It helps drive the higher levels of satisfaction with our customers while helping us give away less. All righty. So on the topic of giving in slowly, let's start at the beginning of the negotiation. You ask me for a 20% discount. I say, sure. You naturally wonder, well, couldn't I have gotten more? And so <laughs> instead someone asks you for a 20, 50, 100% discount, what should I be doing in that moment to slow it down and stop the bleeding? Really the first thing with the, when it comes to authority, the first, you know, the first takeaway is like, hey, look, I, I don't have the authority to give away that 100% discount or that 30% or 20%, whatever it is. And in fact, a lot of organizations have these approval matrices in place, right? To prevent you from being able to give that away. So as an AE, oh, I can only give you like a 5% discount, but my manager's got to approve a 10%. We're not doing that because we're, we don't trust you, right? We're doing that because it actually makes it harder for the customer to kind of extract those, those valuable concessions from our company. And actually, when I was back at Salesforce, we had those approval matrices for, you know, customer size and, and for even by the pro, down to the product, right? There was different approval matrices. So a customer asks you for a big, big discount. You can say, hey, look, I, I, I'd love to help you out here. I'd love to get you the best deal possible, but I just, I don't have the authority to, to give you that. The most I can do is, is X. And then you go from there. Awesome. And immediately, it sounds like you're like, are, are there things you're doing to qualify that discount when they ask in the first place before you even say like, hey, I can do X. In other words, like, how do you know that they're not just BSing and asking for a discount for the sake of asking a discount? We get into this conversation of what I call, and actually I'm, I'm totally stealing this from one of my favorite negotiation books. It's called Getting More by Stuart Diamond. He is a, a professor uh, at the Wharton School of Business, created their negotiation program. And he talks about this concept of trading items of unequal value. So I might say, hey, look, I get that you want, you know, this, that you want the, you want the concession, you want the discount, you all these other things. Here's, and then you might, you, and by the way, you kind of do this in private in your own mind. It's like, okay, here's what I want, right? I want, you know, a multi-year deal. I want the deal to come in on time when I forecasted it. I want a customer reference, 
right? Like I, I want all the, I want to have visibility or information into if I say yes, is this it? Like, are we done? Like, is there any legal? Like, so when you, when you, the whole idea behind trading items of unequal value is really thinking about like, what does that customer want? And actually making that prioritized list of, okay, is the discount the most important thing? Is the start time, delivery timing, you know, um, keeping it as a one year agreement or month to month agreement? What is the most important things? Let's get that out on the table. And then I can make my own little list of what's important to me. And then the idea is we want to trade those things of unequal value. So maybe closing before the end of the month and it's like, hey, look, this deal just, like imagine this, you're a car dealer and I walk into your car dealership and we've never met before. And it's like, you know, two hours before the end of the month. And I say, Nick, I would love to, you know, buy this car and I'll, I will sign for it now, but I need the best deal you've given anyone this month. And look, you've only spent five minutes with me. You might say to yourself, you know what? I'm willing to do that because what do I value? I value speed. I value getting this thing by the end of the month. And I'm willing to give the discount. So this, I, this trading items of unequal value, very important concept. So David, can you talk about this through the light of doing those trades? In other words, when I'm making those first concessions, which concession should I be making first? The biggest discount, the smallest discount, the payment terms. In other words, I'm not going to give them everything all at once. So how do I make sure these ask taper over time? Well, it's good. So, you know, one of the things I tell when I teach negotiation in my practice is I say, first of all, you have to decide what's the most important thing for you. And this shouldn't be like an arbitrary thing. You want a hint? Go look at your comp plan because we all optimize everything. You know, we want to make it to President's Club. That's why you're listening to this, right? So we're optimizing everything for the comp plan. And I'll tell you, like, you know, again, especially at Salesforce, where the comp plans tended to be very creative and changed from year to year, the comp plan tells you, yes, Armand, we need you to optimize uh, multi-year agreements. And we're actually going to pay you more commission. We need to optimize for this other product that's new. We want to sell more of it. And we're going to pay you an accelerator. Oh, you know what? We had a tough Q3. We want to have a big Q4. I'll tell you what, double ACV, you know, a quota credit, you know, in Q4. And so I basically have to look at what my comp plan tells me it's basically what my organization is telling me is important to achieve my goal and then optimize towards that. All right. And so let's say my organization tells me that I'm optimizing towards ARR, right? So basically just the annual subscription value of any given deal. Um, and so customers asking me for a couple of different things, what are some other things that I can trade in that negotiation to protect that golden ARR, which pays me in my comp plan. For sure. So there's lots of things, you know, you can beg, borrow and steal from other people in your organization. So customer success. I love customer success. They're like, you know, we're, you know, we're like this, right? Going to them saying, hey, you know, can you, can you spot me some extra services or some like extra go live or extra support? Uh, maybe we upgrade them to like a faster level of support for a period of time. You know, if, if our goal is to in fact keep that ARR high, then we have to kind of, you know, look around the edges for other things and other parts of our organization that, uh, that we can give. Sometimes there's things that we can do where we can give, for example, kind of point in time concessions. So like, hey, look, I'll give you 13 months for the price of 12. Or maybe I keep the ARR high, but I give you quarterly payments or semi-annual payments instead of annual payments, right? So there's lots of different things that we can kind of nibble around the edges to optimize for the things that we want, just like our customers are trying to do the same. This goes back to the concept of uh, giving away slowly, right? Where your first discount might be, okay, we're going to give you $1,000, $5,000 off the subscription, right? And that is the medius discount you get at the beginning. And then they ask again, and you say, no, 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 we hit the bottom of that well. 
the only thing I have left for you is a free month. And if they really push again, you can start to say, sorry, like I don't have any more free months left for you. The only thing that I have left is you can be on net 90 instead of net 30, right? And when you taper your ass and change the ground, what you're doing it is you're, you're making it seem like the old lady at the grocery store who need, who's like, hey, I ran out of pennies. Do you take stamps? And eventually the buyer is like, shoot, I can't get anything more out of this thing. I'm done. But when you just keep giving away dollar after dollar after dollar, people get addicted to discounts. They don't get addicted to free over time. And I totally agree. One of the other things, though, is that if you give in slowly, it makes it less likely that your customer is going to take from you. So, for example, if the customer says, and, and by the way, one of the ways to give in slowly I talk about is to pick deliberate discounts. So you just said, hey, look, give away $100, $1,000, whatever it is. I don't know how much uh, the product is you're selling. But, for example, let's say you're selling something that has a, a recurring you know, a, a license fee of 125 bucks a month like a 15% discount would actually be, you know, a sizable, like $18. Like that's, that's a big amount. If I said, I'll tell you what, Armand, instead of uh, uh, working with percentages, I think I can probably knock 10 bucks off that, right? Like 10 bucks actually sounds substantial, but it's actually a much smaller percentage. So depending on the nature of your business, negotiating based on absolute dollar values versus percentages can be a better way to, you know, kind of reduce those things. David, do you ever run into the scenario where like 15% and $10 are both like very round numbers? Do you ever like say I can give you $9.37 off to make it seem more believable? Or do you think that's just sort of cheesy? No. So I love picking deliberate numbers because it, it feels like you pick that number for a reason. But my whole thing is that if you're going to pick like a weird wacky number, it should be defendable. Everything should be defendable because if, if I think that you're just doing stuff willy nilly, then it's going to erode my confidence in this whole negotiation process. So if you say, well, the reason why I'm offering $9.35 is because that's 12.5%, which is the most that I can go in my band, right? Now, look, your customers don't know what your approval matrix looks like. In a way, it's good to be transparent and kind of, you know, sometimes show them or share with them. But again, you don't have to do it. They don't know. So deliberate numbers are awesome if you can defend why you pick that number. So David, my question for you is, how do I make sure these things don't drag on forever? How do I put a beginning and end to a negotiation so we're not negotiating for three months? Yeah. Well, the first thing is to understand, like, is is it possible for the customer to even execute? Like, are they just tire kicking at this point and asking, you know, to kind of line it up for like maybe for the future? So one of the things that, you know, I taught to my reps at Salesforce a lot and still kind of advocate for is this idea that before, when a customer asks for a concession, before you grant it, like, let's see our way to the finish line here. Like, you wouldn't, for example, get into an interview process with a company without knowing what that process looks like If should you make it all the way through, right? It wouldn't just be like from, from, from okay, maybe we're going to speak to someone else now. Like, you're like, no, no, it's like four interviews, then a roundtable, then a presentation, then you're hired, right? So the same thing happens with negotiations. So you say, hey, you want a discount? And like, you know, Armand, and you say like, oh, maybe I can, maybe I could sign before a month. And I say, hey, look, Armand, I'm happy to explore discounts or, or things that we could potentially do, but but like here's what's going to happen, right? If I try to get you this discount and then uh, and then for whatever reason it doesn't get done before the end of the month, I have to go back internal. So now I'm teaching you my internal process, right? I got to go back internally. I got to ask for approval again. I got to put a case together. And again, like because it didn't happen the first time, they're probably not going to be very sympathetic or want to grant me these concessions. So I need to put like a really good case together. Like number one, why I'm asking for this, but B 
like why the thing that we want, which is the deal to close in a certain time frame, uh, is going to happen. So can you like just help me understand a little bit about like what has to happen on your side? Like, is there a legal review, an IT review? Like, again, items of unequal value don't just apply to, to price concessions. What do you want? You want a commitment from me for a certain concession. What do I want? I want information, right? So these are the items of unequal value that we're trading now. But I always like to make sure that you that we see our way to the finish line before we even start talking about kind of time box concessions. I need to know what this looks like, right? One of the ways you can do that, in fact, is kind of what I referred to earlier, which is turn the future into the past. When you say, and this, by the way, this happens not just for price concessions, but it can happen for like reference calls, right? Say, hey, Nick, you know, can I get a reference from you, right? And so you might say, hey, look, I'm happy to hook up with a reference. We've got lots of great customers. Do you, do you mind if I ask, like, when we do the reference, like, let's say the person says 10 out of 10, you know, cerebral selling was awesome. Like what? What happens after that? Like the reason I ask is because you know I I don't want it, which I'm a big fan of. The reason I ask is because, by the way, uh, the reason I ask is because I don't want to line up all of these these things and you know take my customers' time. And, you know we respect them as we would respect you and your customer, and I just want to make sure that if there's something that's more important for us to do before the reference request, that we get that out now, because you know oftentimes there are things that we need to do. So, anyways, timeline. I want to understand my way to the finish line before I start agreeing to anything. So what you're doing there, it's actually, Armand, we talk about like no unilateral concessions or the rule of reciprocity. You're giving a give. When you give somebody a reference, it's a give. And that gives you then the right to get something back, whether it's more clarity into like what happens next. And I like one of the things that you're doing is you are really going into detail about like, what does this actually mean? Like, when are you going to reach out to the reference? Like what things are important that you're going to ask them? Because again, you have more and more discovery and clarity around the entire deal timeline and process there. One of the areas that I think a lot of salespeople get tripped up is when they're sort of negotiating with someone who might not be at like the true authority level. So just like you talked about, like as a salesperson, you might not have final authority on discounts or like signing on your org's behalf. But if I'm negotiating with uh, somebody who's at the director level and the VP has to sign, but it's like a director level thing, sometimes I end up negotiating with somebody who they don't have full authority. And so how do I like, navigate a situation like that? Well, there's first of all, there's actually lots to be gained by negotiating people with without the authority to grant the concession, because they can usually give you information, you can usually kind of bring them, you know, into the bosom, and, and get insight from them into like, well, what happens next? But I would say yes, like the challenge is if you're negotiating with someone who is telling the worst is when they tell you they have the authority to do it, and you know that they don't, right. But the idea is that you don't want to necessarily, you know, give the full commit until you know that this thing could be done or you you know you looked in the whites of the eyes of the decision maker so it could be like hey look i know we're talking about all this stuff now and all these things just out of curiosity like you know if if we were to and you don't even have to name discounts like if they say we want a 30% discount you could say hey look you know as we're talking about discounts one of the things what, that's going to happen when i go back and internally in my organizations they're going to say like what's the process right to to get this thing buttoned up so i'm just out of curiosity in your organization like what is what does that look like? Is there anyone else that needs to kind of sign off? Also, by the way, don't assume because I've been bitten by this many times in, in my sales career. Don't assume that that person even knows what the process is internally at their own organization, right? I've I've had situations where we were doing a a seventy five k like AR deal at Salesforce, and the executive told us who was a C level exec that they had the ability to sign the deal. Little did they know they'd only been at the organization for X number of months had never done a deal this big and realized that the CFO needs to sign off on anything over 60K. 
So of course the CFO comes in and like, oh, can we get another 5%, right? So uh, when you're negotiating with someone who doesn't have full authority, use, I say use them in the best possible way, just like they're using you to get more information about the organization, what the signing process looks like before you make these big commitments. Well, what you're doing is actually really, really smart. I do all of that stuff early in the process too. Like when you're still selling the deal, you should be, if you know there's a mandatory step to get a deal done, and I don't know what software doesn't need a security review, you should be presenting those things. And if I think about my sales process, there's like two or three, every single time somebody goes through their their evaluation, they have to have those meetings. And when you present those things, hey, usually folks want to make sure that this thing is going to meet their security and privacy standards. Like, is that a meeting you want to set up with your IT team? One, you've established yourself as like, you know how to help them navigate the sale. And so you start to get some trust and um, social proof. But then two, you start to accelerate the deal. The other other thing that it allows you to do is, yeah, David, there, there are really three things that you're talking about that need to get done to have a deal finish. Number one is you need to finish negotiations. Number two, you need to finish legal review. And then number three, you need to finish security review. And if you can educate them on that process and get them to start legal and or security while you're negotiating, that is huge buying signal because now you know they're already planning to sign this contract. And a lot of times a smart, sophisticated buyer, they will not actually begin legal or security review until they know they're going to purchase with you. But if you can educate them on that process and see if the organization is willing to start that process, then that is huge leverage. And you know, almost for sure that your deal is going to come in. For sure. And by that time, like, they know how much it costs. Like they, you know, it's not like it's a surprise to them that you're 2x your competitors or 50% cheaper or whatever it is, right? So yeah, I absolutely agree. If they agree to kind of take those next steps and share those next steps with you, it's a very good buying signal. And especially like the best kinds of negotiations are not the ones that are adversarial. It's the ones where like, hey, look, I, I want to help, you know, get you the, the best deal possible. There's lots of different ways that we can kind of nibble around the edges and get something that works for both of us. In general, like one of the things, again, not to go back to Salesforce, but I think Salesforce did a great job in this, is just kind of educating the customer. Hey, look, I'm happy to do all sorts of things for you. The, the better the deal looks for us, the more stuff I can do for you, <laughs> right? Like the, the more you try to like crunch us and like it's harder for me to sell internally, right? So just we're, we're in this together. There's lots of different ways that we can work through it. Let's say that the next step, the buyer now needs to start to relinquish control to procurement or to someone more senior. You mentioned earlier that if you get really close with someone below the line, they'll tell you things you're not supposed to know. Could you elaborate a little bit more on what those things might be and how I might obtain those things? Yeah, look, you can talk about like, you know, for example, hey, look, um, I know we're talking about price and we're talking about, you know, negotiation, all that kind of stuff. Do you mind if I ask, you know, when you typically send things through to procurement, does procurement come through and always ask for like an extra five or 10% or like when you go up to the CFO, are they going to always ask for a five or 10%? Because what I don't want to do, Armand, like... I don't want to kind of, you know, go to, to go to the wall of my company, give us, give you like our best offer and then have you come back and say, oh, we need another 5% because like, I'm not going to have any room to go at that point. So getting as much insight into the process in advance would be super helpful. Do you have any insight into that? Right. So what am I doing? Like I'm asking for information, but I'm also kind of telling you, okay, if I don't have this information, here's like the problem that's going to occur later on. So I always like, you know, again, it, it, it it's funny, we're not we're not trying to cozy up to the customer. We are actually trying to help each other in this situation. And to the extent I can just ask what that process might look like, 
even, and again, don't assume that they know. They've never, maybe the thing they're buying now has never been through a procurement process before. Now it's like the first time. Can you check? Like I just, the, the reason I ask is because I don't want to find ourselves in this kind of, you know, tough bind, you know, a week from now where like none of us have flexibility. I've seen this happen. It's, it's problematic. Well, this goes back to the concept of educating your buyers. And I find that the best sellers are able to convince below the line buyers that they don't want a discount yet. You can ask them questions where it's like, hey, like, you know, I can only do this once, right? Do you want to burn this bullet between you and I, or should I save that for when it gets to procurement so they can get this pound of flesh and it's one cut and done? And then they'll be like, oh, shoot, like, I don't want the person who's held accountable across the organization for making the one cut if my one cut wasn't good enough. And you can actually talk them off the ledge by educating them and then get them on the same side of the table. So it's you and your buyer against their procurement team, not the other way around. I'm, I'm smiling because we actually used to use that from a, I guess, from a hiring and promotion standpoint, right? So Armand comes to me and says, hey, David, I've, I've been doing really doing well on the floor and my, I'm at quota. Do you think, you know, would I be up for a, a raise or promotion, right? Can I get an extra like couple grand a year, whatever it is? And I say like, look, Armand, like, here's the thing. I If I went back to my, the leadership team and said, Armand needs an extra two grand a year, they'd be like, no problem, right? Absolutely. But the problem is like, I don't want to get you two grand now. Like I want to get you 10 grand at the end of the year. And if I go now and ask for the two grand, come the end of the year, they're going to like, well, he already got something. Like, I'd rather, you know, save it up. And in fact, um, we did this, and this is this is all legit. This is actually legit. These aren't tactics. Like, these are just things to think through. But I had, you know, one of my reps at Salesforce, I was looking to get promoted, right? From like, from, you know, small business to, to mid-market and so on. And, you know, he's like, hey, look, is am I up for this? Is, is it time? I'd really love to go. And we said, you know what? We could absolutely put you up and you would get it now. But, you know, Armand, we see you as a, as a, someone with tremendous leadership potential. And so what I want to do, I actually want to hold you back by a quarter. And I want to give you experience with doing some really great peer management on the team here. Because when I send you up, I want to not only set you up to be a, a, a great rep in the mid-market, but a, a manager as well, right? So there's lots of reasons why you would say to someone, hey, look, I want to slow down now for, for gains later on in negotiation and, and elsewhere in our businesses. So David, we've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing from like a negotiation and customer conversation perspective. Now it's time to flip that question on its head and ask you about a bad habit. So the final question is, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to stop doing because it hurts them more than it helps them? Yeah, look, you know, the, the one thing I always say when we, I get asked this question is what I call like closing tactics, Right. Like the closing tactics, like, hey, look, what would what would stop you, you know, from moving forward this month? Right. Like where I try to kind of, you know, cut off all your angles. Hey, look, it seems like we have this in place. we got this in place. we got this in place. You know, what's you know, what would stop us from moving forward this month? Right now. And again, a lot of that, you know, kind of comes down to tone. But the idea is that customers hate it. And it's actually like a human reflex when we feel our ability to choose freely is being restricted, especially in sales. We're taught to. To, you know, to cut down the angles, to ask the customer, hey, look, is there any reason why you wouldn't buy, right? But when we corner our customers, they lash out. So we always have to make it okay for them to say no, to give them freedom. That's the number one thing I always think about. Beautiful. David, is there anything that you want to promote before we jump off here? 
I mean, look, you know, I give away, I've been accused of giving away uh, uh, too much stuff for free. Uh, so by all means, head over to my uh, my website, Cerebral Selling. I have a book. Unfortunately, it's not free, but it's not expensive. It's called Sell the Way You Buy. You can get that Amazon or everywhere else. And I have a new Facebook group, which you can join for free. And I'll, I'll send you the details so you can include it in the, uh, in the show notes where I give away tons of exclusive content, uh, you know, weekly uh, Facebook Lives. It's, uh, it's really, really great. So by all means, avail yourself. I think when it comes to modern selling, the better we all are, the better the profession will be perceived and will elevate everyone. So I love giving as much stuff as I can away. Beautiful. And David also has an Instagram. Sometimes I go on Instagram and I see I get tagged by David in a wonderful clip from this <laughs> show. So go check that out also and stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with David Premier include number one, never show you have the power in a negotiation. You have no power whatsoever. Number two, slow down the negotiations. It should be slow and painful and a lot of effort every time there's an ask to get any sort of concession. Number three, change the plane of negotiations each time you give a concession. There are certain gives that should run out and be scarce. And then lastly, number four, talk them out of getting a discount at all unless they are sure that they're comfortable committing to that being the only cut you have. Alrighty, Nick, how can people help us out here? Armand, there's one other reason that I suspect your brain might be a little bit tired or hurting a bit, and it is because you have been working on our 30 Minutes to President's Club newsletter. We have had so many fans of 30 Minutes to President's Club say, hey, Nick and Armand, is there a way that we can see your tips in written form? Is there a way that we can ask you questions? Is there a way we can know when 30 Minutes to President's Club Live is happening? And yes, there is. My esteemed co-host here, Armand, is spending hours eating guacamole and typing up newsletters. And you can subscribe to our newsletter in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. 
Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.